everyone. Uh, a few years ago, I saw one of those sort of inspirational quote things. You know, you see a, um, see them happening on Facebook or, or whatever on social media occasionally. Lovely picture, inspirational quote. And uh, this particular one was from the actress Gwyneth Paltrow. And she said, religion is the cause of all of the problems in the world. It's what separates people. More people have died because of religious conflict than any other reason. That's quite a, a popular attitude, or at least it was at the time. I think uh, these days it's less popular now to think that, think in that kind of a way. I think ego religion, that just causes the problems. You know, if only everyone was a bit more like me, uh, someone who was enlightened and intelligent and didn't go round killing people for their for silly reasons and you know all of that kind of thing. If only everyone was a bit more like me, um, not me, but uh, in the in the Gwyneth Paltrow kind of sense, um, and and that's the kind of thing that just happens um, all the time. You know that we 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 want people to to we want someone to fix it. You know that at the moment uh, there's Brexit is a big thing in the UK and and Boris's Boris Johnson's slogan, Prime Minister, is you know let's get Brexit done. And it's kind of like um, he's the one he thinks who's going to get it all sorted. That's his thing. Put your faith in me. I will get it done. I will get it sorted. Or you think about what's happening in America and with Trump, you know, MAGA, make America great again. And um, you know, Trump is kind of saying, look, put your faith in me and I will make America great again. And you know, it's just putting your faith in someone to, to accomplish everything that we want to accomplish. You know, religion, that just causes the problems. Put your faith in me, put your faith in people, in someone, and that will, will solve everything. Now, is that the right kind of way to be thinking? And this is what I think this, this next part of Judges is about. It's actually quite a long passage. It's from uh, chapter 10, verse, uh, verse 6, through to... Um, through to chapter 12 verse 7 and I'm not, not going to read out the, the whole passage obviously if you want to read it then um, I'll put the link in the description below go down and you can uh, have it read out to you or you can read it online or, or whatever you want to do um, so I'm just going to sort of deal with it uh, as we go through but but judges as we've seen if you've seen any of the, the previous videos in judges judges it just keeps on getting worse and that's what we're going to see again today. It actually gets worse. But but today, I think it, it takes even a, a little step uh, beyond that. So Jephthah, he was um, a mighty warrior, it says. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. This is um, chapter 11 and verse 1. But what happens is that uh, Jephthah is driven away by his family, his the legitimate sons of his father, they realise that if they drive him away, then they'll get more of an inheritance. So they drive Jephthah away and he's sort of excluded from them. And he you know, kind of gathers around him a band of mercenaries or you know, people who are just, you know, um, scoundrels or, or whatever and uh, causes a bit of trouble. But then they uh, they kind of come back to him and they say look oh look we're being oppressed by um by the philistines and we're, we're being oppressed um we need on it's actually the uh, the ammonites actually it says we need you to help us to fight them you know we need you to come and save us and jephthah he um 
he says, well, why should I come and help you? And they say, oh, please. And, you know, eventually he, he, he does. But it's, it's very similar to what we saw in the last video, isn't it? About how the Israelites treated God. You know, because the Israelites cried out to God for help and God said, well, why should I help you? Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. And they uh, eventually, um, when they had, had put away their gods and when, they'd, um, when they repented, then God, uh, then God helped them and God sent a deliverer. And this is just the way that they treat God, the way that they treat Jephthah. And I think it's really interesting, isn't it, how the way that they treat God is kind of echoed in the way that they treat Jephthah. And it's very often the way that those who believe and trust in, who follow Jesus, uh, are treated in the, like Jesus sometimes. You know, that people, that Jesus was rejected and his followers will be rejected. Not all the time, but, but sometimes it happens. And Jesus said, you know, a servant is not above his master. He said, if I was treated this way, how much more will, uh, will you be treated this way? And, and that is often the case. You know, Christians should not expect to be treated well by the world. Unfortunately, that's the, that's the way of the world, to reject God and to treat his servants in, in the same way. So, uh, so Jephthah, he does eventually come and, and help them. And so he sends messengers to the king to say, why, what do you have against me that you have attacked my country? He sends messengers to the, to the Ammonite king. And um, the, the Ammonite king, he basically says, look, um, when Israel came out of Egypt, they took away my land. Now give it back peaceably. It's a bit of a land grab, really. Um, now this is um, something which probably makes more sense if you can see a map. And I'll try and find one actually to put up on the screen um, briefly. But this is uh, where the, the Israelites came out of Egypt. They came from the north to the promised land. And they came in sort of from the, the east side. And um, they uh, the land which the Ammonite king is accusing them of having stolen is from the north, which is the Jabbok River, down to the south. That's the, the Arnon River. And that whole region is... Um, was part of Israel at, at this point but the Ammonite king is saying look look you've you've taken it away from me and from my people so give it back um, and uh, I hope that looking at a map will help kind of visualize what uh, what he, he is talking about so um, so Jephthah he gives a reply and he does this by by writing a letter they say that the pen is mightier than the sword so um, I thought it was quite interesting, actually, of Jephthah. You know, he's got this reputation as sort of a scoundrel, but he's actually quite well educated and he he knows the history of it. And so he writes them this this letter and he says um, he makes a, a number of points. Actually, he says, firstly, that uh, Israel defeated the the uh, the Ammonites fair and square. He says um, in verse 21, the Lord gave Sion and his whole army into Israel's hands and they defeated them. And Israel took over all the land of the Amorites who lived in that country. So he said, look, we got it fair and square. We defeated them. God gave us the victory. You don't have any claim on that land because we, we conquered. We won it. That's the first thing that he says. The second thing is that he said the Lord has has given it to us. He says the Lord, the God of Israel, has driven the Amorites out, 
what right do you have to take it over? Will you not take what your God Chemosh gives you? Say, look, God's given us this land. What has your God Chemosh given you? Um, the third thing that he says, he says that Balak, the king, didn't fight Israel. Um, verses 25. Are you any better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever quarrel with Israel or fight with them? Uh, so he's saying, look, Balak knew what was what was right when when they the Israelites came out of Egypt. Balak, the king, he was terrified of them. And he said, oh, well, we better not fight against them because we're terrified of what God might do, having brought the Israelites out of Egypt. So Balak didn't fight against the Israelites. He was the king of Moab at that time, which was in that 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 same region as well. And then and then um, uh, Jephthah says, for 300 years, Israel occupied Heshbon um, and all these towns. Why didn't you retake them during that time? So Jephthah says, look, we've been here for 300 years. You've had ample opportunity to retake this land, but you haven't. Why is it now that you're coming and making trouble against us? And um, so he gives four good reasons why that land belongs to the Israelites and why the the Ammonites should just shove off and you know um, not try not try anything on which is which is what they were doing really um, and so of course this letter gets sent and uh, the king of Ammon he doesn't listen and he comes and, and wants to make war against them so what Jephthah does and it's interesting, actually, the way that the story in Judges focuses, because it doesn't really focus on what happens with the battle. It focuses on Jephthah and it, Jephthah, he makes a vow. He says, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Pretty foolish vow to make given what happens uh, just in a in a moment's time but Jephthah I think the this translation of the Bible as well smooths it out a little bit it's a a, a bit more uh, ambiguous in the in the Hebrew text because Jephthah does sound like he's saying um, I will sacrifice him you know that he was even thinking of sacrificing a person rather than sacrificing an animal, which it kind of makes it sound like a, it could be an animal in this. Uh, did Jephthah have a human sacrifice in mind even at, at this point? Well, who knows? Uh, but what happens is he, he defeats the, the Ammonites. He goes over and he devastated 20 towns and Israel, it says Israel subdued Ammon. So they stopped making trouble, which is, which is really good. Uh, but then when he comes back, he returns to his home and who should come out to meet him? But his daughter, his only child, his daughter. And he's, he's very sad. Of course he is. Um, but he, he goes and, and fulfills the vow that he's made. He said, look, I can't. I've made a vow to the law, which I can't break. And now I have to I have to go through with this. So she has a couple of months to mourn with her friends in the in the hills. And then she uh, herself um, uh, comes back and, and um, Jephthah fulfills his, his vow. Now we know that child sacrifice is abominable to God. You know that God drove out the nations before Israel and one of the things that one of the reasons why he did that was because they sacrificed their children. So God is not happy with child sacrifice and he, he 
it, it's a terribly wrong thing um, to do. So why does Jephthah uh, do it? And I think it, it just comes at the, the, the hints really at the idea that Jephthah had his own ideas and that although he, he knows some of Israel's history, he doesn't really know what is right and wrong. He wants to, to worship and serve God in his way, not in God's way. You know, he says, oh, I'll sacrifice my, my daughter. You know, God won't mind that. And um, actually God, God does and didn't want him to do that. He didn't even have to keep his vow. Now, and if you, uh, you look in the law, and I won't, won't turn to it at the moment, but there is provision in the book of Leviticus, chapter 5, verses 4 to 6. Um, if someone made a foolish vow then and, and they become aware of it, then they don't have to go through with it. Now, it was a sin, it's sinful thing to do, but they can make a sacrifice for it. They can make atonement for it. They don't have to go through and carry out the, the foolish vow. And so Jephthah, he should have been aware of that and he should have known that he didn't have to go through with it. But he did. And I think that just shows that he cared more about his own thoughts rather than really listening to what God thought. So uh, Jephthah, he, he does this awful thing of, of sacrificing his daughter. But then the, the uh, Ephraimite uh, forces, they crossed over. Uh, and this is at chapter 12, verse 1. They say why to Jephthah, why did you go out to fight the Ammonites without calling us to go with you? We're going to burn your house uh, over your head. Well, the, the Ephraimite, Ephraimites had form on this. And that's basically what they said to Gideon back in chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 3. Only that time, Gideon, he, um, he was a diplomat. You know, he, he dealt with them more diplomatically and he, he calmed them down and pacified them. But this time there was no such luck for the Ephraimites and Jephthah, he responds with with violence and um, it, it ends up with them fighting and defeating them. And it says even um, 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. Uh, and interestingly, this this story is the origin of the word shibboleth, um, if you're familiar with that, with that sort of word. And um, this is where it comes from in the Bible. But I'll let you read out. Uh, why that why that should be and um, so so this by the end of the story Jephthah has defeated the Ammonites but victory is looking a lot like defeat isn't it you know that actually the yes they've got the victory over their enemies but the enemy from within is even worse you know that Jephthah sacrificed his daughter that they killed 40,000 of their own people. That is where uh, victory looks pretty hollow. I think it's what they sometimes call a pyrrhic victory. It comes at such a cost. But only this time, the, the problem is not their enemy, but themselves. The greater enemy is within them, not the external enemy. Uh, and that's that's the thing that, that happens here. It reminds me a bit of... Um, you know that sometimes you read through the history of the, the 20th century, you think of these uh, regimes, communist regimes, who tried to create a, a sort of utopia, but ended up killing millions of people in doing so. And it's a bit like that here, isn't it? You know, trying to create utopia, but doing it along the way, actually making a far greater problem. And that is a, a very human problem. It's what human beings are like. And, and ultimately, that's because the 
The problem is we, our enemy is not out there, but actually our greatest enemy is, is in here. Our greatest enemy is in our hearts, in our minds, and that enemy is, is sin. And we need someone who is going to be greater in order to, to save us from that, because every human being suffers from that same problem. And if we put our faith in a human being, uh, then it won't solve our, our deepest need, our, our greatest problem. And it's interesting how Jephthah, you know, he was um, he was like Jesus in some respects. You know, he was um, there's a, a verse in the Bible which says the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And that's describing Jesus. And, you know, it's interesting how Jephthah was rejected because he was um you know, his brothers didn't want him, they rejected him. And it's a bit like Jesus, you know, that he was rejected by, by mankind. They put him on a cross, uh, but he was the one that God chose to, to bring salvation. So Jephthah was a bit like Jesus in, in some respects, but he was also very unlike Jesus, you know, because he still suffered from this same problem of the human heart, of the corruption of sin. Whereas Jesus didn't suffer from that. And Jesus is the one who actually came to defeat sin, who came to bring about, uh, who came to die on the cross to bring forgiveness and to bring change and healing and, uh, and transformation, something which couldn't happen through anyone else. Through Only Jesus can, can make that happen. And this is the thing that, you know, our problem, our deepest problem is not at the external enemies that we face, but ourselves and our own sin. And Jesus is the only solution to that. So I think as we come to a close, I think the lesson to learn there is to remember that our sin is our deepest problem and that we, we don't have the solution to that. Whatever external things may be going on, that uh, we need to look to Jesus to heal us from our deepest need. And only then can uh, can those other things be dealt with. And that I think it's good as well to remember, and we saw this a couple of weeks ago with Gideon as well, but that we mustn't put too much faith in human leaders or in human plans, because at the end of the day, they are flawed as well. You know, any solution which doesn't look to God or doesn't look to Jesus as the number one is doomed to failure in the long run, because God is the one who enables victory to happen and God is the one who can deal with even the deeper problems than our, our kind of surface things. And I think that's the same, no matter how big or small the problem, you know, right from something like climate change, I think we need to be, be looking to God for that rather than political solutions, through to things happening in our personal lives. You know, we need to look to God and trust him and walk with him to solve our problems and to, to help us, not to looking to kind of come up with a, a human solution, um, but, but avoid talking to him. So that's the thing. We need to look to God and we need to trust him in everything. So thank you very much for watching this video. I hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, please do click the like button, the thumbs up down below if you, uh, if you enjoyed it. And please do hit the subscribe button if you want to see more videos like this. Um, and hit the, the bell, the notification button if you want to sort of get an email when I, uh, I do a new video. Um, as uh, I know otherwise YouTube might not notify you that I put a new one on. So thank you very much for watching. I hope to see you again for another video very soon. God bless.